Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 29, Best Picture, Oscar Snubs. Chris McBride here, along with Yancey in this pop culture world. Yancey, what's going on in Florida? What's happening? Uh, the weather's been pretty nice. Nice. Um, I'm, I'm in like this weird, you know, I, I mentioned baseball occasionally. I try not to make this a baseball show because, you know, I, you know, this is a separate pop culture podcast. This is a, this is a different project. It's not our old podcast that we did together. But in the same sense, too, we also have a lot of carryover listeners from the, the, the past podcasts, and you know, yes. So it's not like a surprise that you and I both like baseball. I'm in like this weird funk where like I want to watch baseball so bad that like today I spent like three hours watching like <laughs> like random highlight videos on YouTube. Seriously, for like two or three hours, it's just I'm so ready for baseball to be here. I'm so ready to start drafting my fantasy fo- our fantasy baseball teams and stuff. And it's just you know, just uh, having a, a nice break from that kind of like monotony of like just going to work every day with with nothing on TV to watch, and you know being able to do this podcast and talk about i mean literally anything every single week it's something different it's been a really really nice break from you know the monotony that is like my life so it has been it's been a lot of fun getting together with every week and talking so so recently we had valentine's day and i got this really nice card for my wife and she included these tickets in it and in the and she said okay these tickets are good for every time that i want to watch a movie that i want to watch i cash in a ticket with her so she's so wonderful so of course you know i'm making her watch you know what i'm like we talk about this every week i make her watch like all these old movies like stuff from the 70s and 80s that i love and all this but then i decided to kind of returned the favor recently so what i did was i said to her let's watch tonight let's watch any movie you want this was just like a week ago i said any movie you want to watch so she's like i want to watch la la land so i was like oh boy well i don't know this isn't really my kind of movie you know what i mean i'm not a huge musical guy um Mm -hmm. you like some of them but you know i thought oh i don't think that she's gonna love this movie and i'm probably not gonna like it but you know what i make her watch like meatballs and you know caddyshack and the blues brothers over and over again so i figured ah what's the least i can do i'll watch this movie so i we watched la la land and you want to know the funny thing she didn't even really like it that much i loved it (laughs) i absolutely loved that movie yancey have you seen it yeah i just recently watched it maybe three or four days ago what'd you think um man i I don't even know where to start do we just want to like talk about it back and forth a little bit like Mm -hmm. i mean um overall i liked it a lot i really thoroughly enjoyed it unlike you where musicals aren't really my thing um you know like the big the big productions with like a bunch of people singing and dancing all at once and you know all this music and stuff like over the top lyrics and you know just like that whole like huge production value of like most musicals that you think of that does not appeal to me at all what i love about this movie is like it's a quote-unquote musical like finger quotes musical but most of the musical scenes in this are with two or three people it's very small it's 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 more like singing in the rain than it is like some sort of like grease musical where you have like 15 and 20 people dancing and you know there's a lot of stuff happening in the background and stuff um i just think it's like a it's it, I don't really know what it's trying to say from like a macro level like it, it it's one of those films where like it doesn't really uh, reflect like you know a sign of the times basically it's but it, it is a, a fantastic film from start to beginning I, I don't think that um Ryan Gosling I, I don't think either of the main characters are fantastic singers or fantastic dancers but they're incredible actors and they do everything just good enough to where like the whole film just works 
super, super well. What'd you think of it? Okay, so here we go. So, okay, so you mentioned a really good point that a lot of the musical numbers only had two people in it, except for mm-hmm. the opening shot. And when the opening shot, remember on the highway and everybody stopped right. in traffic and they do this big, huge, huge musical number and it goes from car to car and person to person and they're all singing and they're dancing and they're running around. They're obviously doing it to playback, but it's incredible. The scene gets done and I turned to my wife and I said, did you, did you notice anything about that scene? And she's like, mm, I don't know what. And I said, it was all done in one continuous shot. Yeah, one camera. One camera, one shot, moving around through the whole time, no edits. I'm like, honey, you don't understand. You get down to the end of this unbelievably choreographed scene and that one guy on the bike does a misstep as he goes up the car and comes down. Sorry, halt, cut. We got to start all over again right at the beginning. You know what I mean? Like that was an incredible scene the way that that was shot. So that one had lots of numbers, lots of people in the musical number, but you're, but you're right. Most of the other ones were small ones. And again, I, I, I remember when they were, when they were walking out in the moonlight and they walked over to the bench and she, she sits down and she starts taking her shoes off. I said to my wife, they're going to do a tap number. Mm-hmm. She's like, what? what? Well, how do you know? I said, she's putting on tap shoes and he's wearing yep. tap shoes. She's like, what? And all of a sudden they go into this tap number. And I'm, I thought it was brilliant. You know, you were talking about some of the themes and you know, what does it really mean overall to me? You know, and, and I think, you know, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about Oscars. You know, about I, I think it's definitely the favorite, you know, no big surprise there. It's the favorite to win Best Picture Oscar. And I think it's going to win Best Picture Oscar for one reason and one reason only because Hollywood types that are voting for the awards love this kind of movie. The theme in this movie is very, very, very crystal clear that at the end of the day, if you want to make it in Hollywood, you want to make it in La La Land, you got to make a choice. Either go for your dream or you get to have your relationship, but you can't have both. So you got to give up the relationship to go for your dream. And that's what it's all about. And that's what I thought was very, very... Okay, by the way, spoilers, spoilers. I'm just going to say right now, if you haven't seen it, there's okay. some spoilers. Yeah. Anybody out there that's listening, you know, that's why I thought it was very gratifying when it gets to the end of the movie and you're like, yes. oh, they're going to get back together. She's with her husband and she yes. goes in the club and sees him. But I'm so glad that they didn't do that. She got up and she walked out and she did turn and look at him. But you know... It's over because you know what you you make a choice in this world when you want to go for it in La La Land and if you want to if you choose your dream, most of the time that means giving up you know your love life or your the relationship that you have in place at the time, and you go for your dream and that's the way that it works out and that's just the way it is and I think mm-hmm. so many people in Hollywood relate to that message and relate to that theme that they just they will vote for that movie. That's why I think I think it's a hands yep. down going to win Best Picture for that reason. What are your thoughts on that? I, I'm glad that you mentioned the last scene and also the scene on the bench because those were literally my two favorite scenes in the entire film. Um, so, like I said, you know, they're not fantastic dancers. They're not trained tap dancers or anything like that. But I thought they both did just enough to where, like, the dancing was a complement to the entire scene. It wasn't, like, the focal point of the scene. And it was just beautiful. You know, like, this movie, like I talked about, like, the big opening scene – I can appreciate how difficult it was. I know that it must have it must have been an incredible undertaking for me personally from an entertainment standpoint. That's not what really gets me going, you know what I mean? But for me it was all the little like really little things that this movie does so so well like um you know, they're singing this song talking about how like oh they're not you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but they're not super interested in each other like oh there's no chance of us getting together is basically what they're singing. You know, and then at the very end of the scene whenever he finally finds her car She's like, oh, do you want me to drive you to your car? He's like, oh, no, I'm just I'm just right here. I'm just right down the, you know, this block, whatever. But no, he's not. He's, you know, a mile or two mm-hmm. miles or who knows how long, all the way back at the party where they first started walking from. He is into this girl, you know what I mean? And it doesn't say anything explicitly like that. It just shows him walking back and you see him walking back up to the party. 
or like, you know, making little jokes about like Hollywood culture or like, you know, Los Angeles, like LA, you know, libtards, whatever you want to say, where she's like, oh, will you grab my keys for me? It's the Prius. And like, it shows like the, you know, the rack of keys and like, it's literally like, you know, 25 different Prius keychains. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like little, just really little subtle things like that. You know, and there's no, there's no corny laugh track or anything like that. It's just, just really small, elegant things that it did. It's more like singing in the rain, as I said, as opposed to like a grease, which is like over the top right. cheese and just super, you know, super campy and stuff. Um, just, just real quickly, just to talk about the last scene. Mm-hmm. It was so perfect. I yes. went through the whole movie like I'm enjoying this film a lot. This is a very good film. But that last scene, like you said, it, they're building this up to be like, oh, you know, this woman, you know, she's in love with him. He pushes her to, to pursue her dreams and stuff. And, you know, he has a small part in it to make it happen for her. And it works out for her. She, you know, eventually she becomes this big star. And, you know, and then he has his you know, his jazz club and it's named, you know, he took the name that she had recommended for him and the same logo and everything works out perfectly. And then you realize, no, this woman has a husband. She has a child. Like life isn't always so perfect like that. And to see her, you know, be thrust back into that life and to see him like that, you know, typical Hollywood would be like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to, we're going to give the audience what they want basically. And to not have the audience get what they want like that. It's, it's an incredibly unpopular move, but it just works so well. Like to see her, see him play and know that he had made it. And, you know, obviously he sees her billboards all around. They make a good point to show, you know, like literally like she's walking down the street and, or he's walking down the street and you can see like billboards of her at like bus stops and stuff. So they both mm-hmm. know collectively that they've made it. You know I, what I mean? I really love in that scene too, when they're looking at each other and you're, oh, you're, and you're wondering, okay, where's this going to go? Cause the typical yep. Hollywood movie is she's going to run up on stage and they're going to hug it. And that's going to be the end. And they look at each other and then I loved the way that they did it because it flashed back to when he was working in the club uh, with J.K. Simmons and and he walked past her and bumped into her and just kind of walked past was being a jerk. Yep. And they yep. replayed that scene and, and they went back and he swept her up it's and It's an embrace. Yep. And he, 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 picked, he picked her and he kissed her and then it was like all the, and then they flashed through all the whole movie again of all the things that would happen. Sometimes if you just make one slight tweak, if you do one thing different, it can change everything. But at the end you realize it doesn't change destiny. It doesn't change fate. It doesn't change the idea of going for your dream. And I thought that was just a a great, I loved it. I really, I thought it was phenomenal, phenomenal. I think, and the thing is too, in any other year, Moonlight would win Best Picture by far. It's so good. But up against a movie like La La Land, I think La La Land will win Best Picture. I think it should win Best Picture. And I think, you know, that's the way it is. But that being said, I'm sure that there's lots of times where movies have been snubbed because you can almost say like, like you know, Moonlight kind of getting snubbed is not winning Best Picture and it kind of deserves to win in a way. So what do you say that we run down a top five list of our, you know, we'll just run down snubs of Best Pictures, movies that should have won Best Picture but never did. How about we do that? You ready? Yep. I am 100% on board. Let's do it. Let's go. The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. My parents watched this with me and they hated it, like a lot of movies that I've already mentioned on this show. Break into Electric Boogaloo. Man, Eddie Murphy did some of the best impressions I've ever heard. Ever. Shabadoo and Boogaloo Shrimp. Chris. I've rewatched it as an adult. I still like it. This brassiere is killing me and this guard rebel is riding up my ass. Oh my, my, my. What could possibly go wrong? My parents pieced out like halfway through it. I'm good, thanks. Yep, we're good. 
Okay, so let's start. You know, before we get started with your, your number five, I, I should mention, like I say, we're going to go through our movies that we think should have won Best Picture but never did. And I think, for me, I just want to preface this because I think there's some obvious ones from the 90s um, that I'm sure you're going to mention, so I'm going to stay away from them. Like, most likely, uh, like, 94, 98, 99 are three that just stand out in my mind. But I'm going to stay away from those. I decided to go with stuff out of, like, the 70s and 80s and head instead because I think the 90s is more a little bit more your wheelhouse. But So I'm going to go with ones from my time. Um you know, since that's the sort of the overall theme of this podcast. But anyway, so number five, what do you got? Movie that should have won Best Picture but never did. Uh, for me, this one is uh, in, in 2010, The King's Speech won. And I watched The King's Speech in theaters. I actually had to do it uh, for a college project. Like I could get extra credit or something. So uh, I took my brother who... Um, you know, my brother, he likes sci-fi films, he likes action films and stuff like that, but The King's Speech is not high on the list of movies that he would, you know, willingly pay to go see in theaters, so I took him to see it, and it was a good film, and I, I forget the actor's name, he's a really popular actor, but I can't, I'm blanking, but it was a good film, but it was a long film, you could have cut an hour and a half off of it, and it wouldn't have changed the outline of the film at all, um, and it won Best Picture, and Looking back now, this was just a few years ago, but it already seems like incredibly, um, I don't know, just like misguided and like the film just doesn't hold up. You know what I mean? Like it was it, it was the flavor of the week, basically. And like just to look back and see all the films that it did win over is just I mean, like in that 2010 was a fantastic year for movies. Right. So everybody thought that the social network was going to win, which personally, I think it should have. Um, you still had Black Swan. You had Inception, you know, Chris Nolan's film. You had Toy Story 3, which is one of the most underrated films. And The Fighter, all, all these movies were just I, I watched all of them in theaters that that movie or that year as a whole was incredibly strong. But for the King's speech to win, like I said, such a throwaway film, it was basically like it was playing off to this stereotype where it's like for the last like 20 to 25 years, like the best actor, a lot of times it'll go to like a guy who's playing a gay person and he's not gay, or it'll go to a person playing a transgender person who's not actually transgender. And like with this, it was him playing somebody who has a speech impediment, but he doesn't actually have a speech impediment. I, I It just doesn't, the film doesn't, like I said, we were talking about with La La Land. I wonder what like it says as like a big picture. This film says nothing. And like the fact that it won over the social network in 2010 is just an absolute travesty for me. There you go. Okay, I'm going back to 1982. The winner that year was Gandhi. But I believe the winner of the best picture of that year should have been Tootsie. I don't know if you've ever heard of this movie yeah, I have not. not. So Tootsie is a movie with Dustin Hoffman. And it is, a lot of people, I think, just think of it on the surface as a comedy. You know, because here's the idea of the film. I love Tootsie. It's such a good movie. So um, so Dustin Hoffman in it plays an actor, Michael Dorsey. He's basically playing himself in this movie. And he is such a, a jerk and he's so hard to work with. So he's just so much like himself in real life. He's so hard to work with that he, no one will hire him. And he's in New York. Nobody will hire the guy. Because he's just a pain in the ass to work with. So he finally decides that he wants to go out for a soap opera and he dresses up as a woman and goes and gets the part in the lead of the soap opera as a woman. And so it could be played broad for comedy, but it isn't. And that's the thing is I think it's mistaken. People think of it as a comedy movie. It has a few funny moments. Mostly the one the one line that's delivered by Bill Murray in it in one of the scenes is just so funny. But overall, it's more of a drama. And I think the thing is, for me, anybody out there that's an actor or is aspiring to be an actor or is just interested in acting, period, go and watch the movie Tootsie because what it is is it's basically a master class in acting. 
and in, in, in as an ensemble piece, it's a masterclass in how to act. Some of the people in that, like I say, Dustin Hoffman was great. Um, you got Jessica Lange and, and and Terry Garr, but even Sidney Pollack. So Sidney Pollack is the director, and he even acts in it and plays a part. He plays um, Michael Dorsey's agent, and it's so funny because he's not an actor, but you know there's so much truth in that because he's directing uh, Dustin Hoffman in this movie, and you know he, Dustin Hoffman's a pain in the ass, so the, the, the whole scenes that are taking place is how much Michael Dorsey's a pain in the ass to work with as a, and as his agent and it's just so truthful the movie is absolutely brilliant I remember seeing an interview with Dustin Hoffman years later and he got all emotional because he was saying he goes that movie was never a comedy to me that movie was about what it's like to be a woman that movie is about what it's like to to, to be a woman how women how there's 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 double standards in this world and how they're held up to different standards and how there's a glass ceiling in front of them and all those things I think it was the best movie 82 and it should have won over Gandhi Gandhi was a big huge, huge sweeping epic movie and you know Hollywood loves those kind of things but Tootsie was the best movie in 82 so number four what do you got number four for me I think is going to be kind of like a surprise to some people but it's it's one of my favorite movies and I've watched it maybe 10 or 15 times in my lifetime it was exposed to me by uh, I think I mentioned this in a past show but an ex-girlfriend my first girlfriend this was her favorite movie and it's uh, kind of staying on theme with whole the whole La La, La, La Land thing but um, Singing in the Rain in 1952, it lost the best picture to The Greatest Show on Earth. Um, I've never seen The Greatest Show on Earth, so I don't mean to um, you know, dog it or anything like that. I did a little bit of research on it, and I've seen Singing in the Rain. I've done an extensive research on it, and I mean – any any type of best of, I mean, if you go by time or AFI or uh, the Academy Awards, like best of or anything like that, they all list uh, Singing in the Rain as like a top 10 or 15 film of all time. Like that's one of those films where like it is incredibly timeless. There's so many movies that, that you know, you could basically, you know, give it as a, like an influence. Like they pulled so many different things from it. It was groundbreaking from like a cinematography standpoint, uh, standpoint just from a, a choreography and just it's it, it's a it's a classic basically you know like it's in the you know the national uh congress library basically like to make sure that like it's preserved you know for mankind for all time and it lost it lost the best picture nominee it was one of those things where it wasn't even nominated um, it wasn't even nominated it wasn't even and, nominated in 52 nope that's, that's and, the travesty and, yep and i i think so more back then um they were looking more so for commercial hits. I think that was kind of like the the, the stereotype of award nominees and award winners of, of those decades of like the 40s, 50s, and 60s was, um, you know, if you were a commercial sex success, you were more likely to get that type of admiration and, you know, an acknowledgement from the community. And, you know, it didn't take off in theaters. It was actually one of those slow to build kind of things. And then, you know, a year and a half, two, three years later, it became, you know, this classic, this instant classic that everybody, you know, had kind of latched onto. So it's weird seeing like these movies, you know, um, I'm going to mention another movie pretty soon here too, but these movies that, you know, stand the test of time in 50, 60, 70, you know, a hundred years, maybe not a hundred, but you know what I mean? But decades later that people are still saying and every critic you ever talk to they all list them as their favorite movies and, the, and the, the most powerful movies of all time it couldn't even win that year it's just it, uh, to be honest with you it kind of discredits the academy awards in general but um i mean that's not a hero another but that's that's my number four is a. Uh, Singing in the Rain getting snubbed back in 1952. Nice. Okay, I'm going to go up to 1984. <clears throat> and the winner that year was Amadeus. But I'm telling you, the movie... And, and Amadeus was like, it was okay, but I mean, really... Amadeus is awesome. You know, it's it's good, but I mean, Tom Hulse running around as Mozart. It was, you know, it was, it was good. It was an interesting movie, but it, it was not the best picture that year. I'm sorry. The best movie that year was by far The Killing Fields. It is 
phenomenal movie. <clears throat> and it is one of the movies that I, it gets me every time that I've seen it. So it, it's just so incredible. So it's about, um, if you're not aware of The Killing Fields, I don't think you've ever seen it, Yancy. I'm assuming no, you haven't seen it. I have not. So no. it's about, it's about the Vietnam War, but it's about what happens in Cambodia next to Vietnam. And, you know, there's bombing that's going on. And then, you know, the, the, there's these, these, um, you know, they're, they're saying, don't bomb, you know, it's going to destabilize the country and all this. But what happens is the story's about, um, these two journalists. So this journalist, and it's a true story. These are real people. So Sidney Schomburg was uh, a journalist with the New York Times and he's over there covering, you know, the war in, in Vietnam. Vietnam, he's covering Cambodia, and it's his basically his assistant who's sort of like a, a self-proclaimed journalist, and his name's Dith Pran. And he is, but he's not like really a journalist, but he's kind of like a self-proclaimed journalist. Anyway, so they're doing the story together, and then <clears throat> what happens is, is of course Cambodia falls, and the Khmer Rouge take over the country, and they basically they they go in there and they say, We need to get you get you guys gotta get out of the country if you want to get out safe. So they're able to get Dith Pran's family out. So he's married, he's got a wife and a couple of kids, and they're able to get them out. And at the, the, the gate, when they're getting them into the embassy and getting them on a helicopter to get them out of the country, Githpron won't go. He's like, I'm not leaving. And Sydney's like, what are you talking about? You, you got to get it. You got to get on the helicopter. Dith, you got your prawn. You got to get on the helicopter. He's like, I don't want to. He goes, Sydney, I'm a journalist too, Sydney, and I need to be here. I need to get this story out too. And this is a true story. This is two real human beings that this happened to. And so it just, oh, I almost get emotional thinking about this movie every time. So Dith Pran is saying, no, I'm going to stay. I'm a journalist. I need to be here with you. And he's like, Pran, it's not safe. No, I'm, I'm going to stay. So he stays. And then what happens is then they, they finally decide things get so bad. They got to get all the Americans and all the foreign press out of the country. But everybody has to have a passport to get out. Well, Pran doesn't have a passport. So he has to stay behind and he gets put into a concentration camp and then Sydney goes back to New York and of course is there and he sees his wife and his kids he's like you know I'm sure your dad's alive and all this and you can't but this is a true story and the cool thing was is that the actor that played Dith Pran in the movie well, he was played by Dr. Hang S. Inghor who was a doctor he was not an actor had no experience as an actor but you know what he did do is he lived that he himself was in Cambodia, was captured, was put into a camp. He lived through that experience. His performance was so good, he won Best Supporting Actor that year, never having acted before. His performance, though, just the, on his face, just how he goes through everything, being in this camp and everything is just so incredible. And then I don't want to give anything away, but the end of the movie comes and they play John Lennon's Imagine. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give this away. I don't want to spoil anything because you haven't seen it, Yancey. You you have to do me a favor. Every week I tell you, you gotta watch a movie, right? You know, I'm always bugging you. Here's one. You absolutely have to watch The Killing Fields. Please, because I know you're a smart guy, you love history, you love all you're gonna love this movie. So mm -hmm. I'm not gonna give away the end, but at the end of the movie, they play John Lennon's Imagine. And every single time I watch the movie, I cry. Every single time. I just wow. it it just moves me. And I, because I think it's just, I can't believe that this actually happened. City, Schomburg, and Death Prime were real people, and this happened. I can't believe the end of the movie. It just, it, it just resonates with me to this day. It by far was better than Amadeus. It was the best movie of 1984. So, on to your number three, my friend. Watch I The Killing Fields. You gotta watch it, dude. I definitely have to see that because I'm a huge Amadeus fan. I've watched it on Netflix maybe five or six times. That is a, a, a beautiful, beautiful film. And like, I don't want listeners to like take away from this that like we're dogging other films. Like, you know, if, if a film wins out, it's oh, it, almost it deserves, always it's a yeah. good film. It's not like it's a bad film, but 
just you know sometimes that it's winning over other films just is, is something that you can't overlook um Amadeus, me, Amadeus was a very entertaining movie it's it's a very very good movie and F. Murray Abraham was great in that in that in that part Tom Hulse was great too but the thing is for me every once in a while you know they call them moving pictures because they should move you in some way and every once in a while a movie comes along that's a game changer for me it's the killing fields I remember years later they made um oh what was the movie with Don Cheadle uh it was uh Hotel Crash. Rwanda Hotel Rwanda, Hotel Rwanda. And, and I remember watching that and thinking, oh, there's a lot of the same themes in here, and they're trying to do a lot of the same things thematically that they did in The Killing Fields, but not quite as good. That movie was not quite as good, let me tell you. Um, it was good, though. It was good. Chris. It was good, it but was. not – if you've seen <laughs> The Killing – and the thing with The Killing Fields that's really good, too, is that The Killing Fields, way it's shot in a style that's almost documentary. It almost look and, and and the fact that these are real people and, – and, and, I mean, the, um, Sidney Schomburg is played by Sam Waterston from Law and mm-hmm. Order, very young, younger Sam Waterston. This movie will absolutely. Move. If, if you watch this movie and it doesn't move you, dude, something's wrong. You got to watch this movie. So anyway, sorry. Number three. Uh, number three for me um, goes all the way back to 2015. Um, this was one of those like rare years where I actually managed to watch all of the nominees for Best Picture before the Oscars. Uh, so Whiplash, The Theory of Everything, Selma, The Imitation Game, Grand Budapest Hotel, Boyhood, American Sniper, and of course the eventual winner, which was Birdman. Now. Again, I have to stress this. I do not think Birdman is a is a bad film. I think it is a very very good film. Very very good film. I don't know if it's super rewatchable. Like it, it's one of those like you you watch it once, it has that effect on you. And I mean, if you see it on cable four years later, I'm not necessarily sure you're you're going to you know record it or, or watch it in its entirety. Um, but all of all those films, like I like to like rank out like what I thought of the films and, and, and just the ones that I've seen and kind of do like my own list of where I would rank them. Um, and it was basically last out of all these films i mean i would have put you know uh whiplash for me it, it actually the same director as la la land ironically and um yep, sure jk simmons is in both of them too which is kind of cool because he plays a hard ass so well i mean he was like the you know he was the band instructor in whiplash he was the uh the club owner in la la land he's just fantastic but um it's one of those things where i I think it just got a lot more credit than it deserved simply because it was it was an original idea and the acting was really solid in it but I, I, I just didn't feel like it was more deserving than any of these other films. Like The Imitation Game, that was a deeply powerful movie. Boyhood, I mean, just the production of it and how long it took and just how in-depth. and I mean, the acting in it was just flawless from top to bottom. It, it's just one of the I – mean, even like American Sniper, like I'm not you know super into uh, those types of movies anymore. I used to really be into uh, that genre of film with American Sniper. But – uh, all of a sudden, I'm blanking on his name, but the main actor, uh, he, like, he even developed like little like facial tics and stuff like that whenever he was, you know, doing the sniper, you know, stuff, whatever, like little like eye twitches and stuff like that. Like the the the, the level of detail and just, I don't know, I'm I'm, I'm rambling just a bit, but like, it, it felt like the almost like the safest pick for best picture of 2015, and like a year where there were just so many good movies and like. Like I said, like it always feels like there's like this old guard of like the Academy Awards who are rewarding kind of like movies that they want to see made or that they personally liked, as opposed to like a movie that's that's really kind of like challenging and like pushing stuff forward. And that's kind of like how I felt with the 2015 Academy Awards. I, I don't hate Birdman, but man, I really would have loved to have seen like Whiplash when there's something else. Just a fantastic film. So that's what my number three, Chris. Yeah, number three. So I'm going to plow through mine a little bit quick. Uh, so my number three, 1981. I'm going back to Chariots of Fire won that year. Kind of a surprise. Uh, much like you, the one like the, with the year you just mentioned, I, I would say that any of the other four nominees 
nominees were more deserving of winning than Chariots of Fire. So first you had Atlantic City, which was a great movie, lots of intrigue. Burt Lancaster was great. There was the whole scene with the lemons. Mm, great. Um, Reds, uh, Warren Beatty really broke against type, you know, for himself making that. To make a movie in the middle of the Cold War that was very sympathetic to, to the Russians was a very interesting movie to make. I thought it was good. On Golden Pond, man, it was so, so good. How do you take a great play and actually make it work on the big screen in such a great way? You do it like in On Golden Pond. It was phenomenal, phenomenal movie. Henry Fonda with one of the most moving performances, you know, you can imagine. Um, and then, of course, the one, the movie that I think should have won was Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, it was nominated and it didn't win. Any one of those four movies should have won over uh, Chariots of Fire. So that's my number three, uh, 1981. What do you got for number two? Uh, number two for me is, like I said, it's an older film. Uh, Citizen Kane is wildly heralded by everyone <laughs> as one of the greatest if not the greatest film of all time and it did not win an oscar for best picture it did not win an oscar for best director in fact it basically got swept in almost every single category minus winning an oscar for best original screenplay um the eventual winner that year of uh, the best picture and best director both came from how green was my valley which i'm not sure if yep. you've seen that before of course you have. That's no, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with it. I mean, Citizen Kane um, was better. There was hell, Here Comes Mr. Jordan was good that year, too. But anyway, Maltese yeah. Falcon, there was lots, right? Yep. You saw it for your 10th birthday, I'm sure, in theaters, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm so old. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, no, no. My, the first movie that I saw in theaters was actually Battleship Potemkin. Actually, thanks a lot. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. But this is just like one of those like weird, but no, it's an you have no You have to Google that, Rancy, to figure no, out. 1925 silent film. Anyway. Yeah. But, uh. It, like I said, it's just one of these weird footnotes in history where the consensus number one film of all time, and I've I've personally watched it as well. I watched it in school. I've watched it on uh, you know, you know on Netflix and stuff a couple of times. It is a fantastic film, and it there are so many films where they basically take that same that same type of premise, you know, that state that same like you know nostalgic longing and and and, and all these different themes and elements and, and ways of shooting the film. And, and it has literally carried over for decades. And the fact that that barely won an award, it almost got swept at the Academy Awards and didn't win Best Picture. I mean, it's just a, a really odd historical footnote. And I, I honestly, I think it's a huge black eye for the Academy Awards. So that's my number two. Is, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's the greatest American film ever made. And it was a bomb at the time. And I don't, people didn't know what to make of it, right? And they had this mm -hmm. brash. And the thing was, too, back then, you have you got the Hollywood studio system cranking people out. And all of a sudden, you got this brash director coming from the Mercury Players, you know, this theater group, and is putting together a movie. And he's flipping Hollywood on its head with the, his ability to put cameras through, you know, through, you know, uh, metal grates and through windows and downstairs and do long shots and deep focus and all this. And, and I, don't, I, I just don't think the establishment was ready for him or, or for that in general. But you're definitely right. Okay. Okay, so we're on a number two, right? 1980, Ordinary People won Best Picture that year. But what should have won? Yeah, I just mentioned Citizen Kane is one of the greatest American films of all time. Yeah, well, I think this is one of the greatest American films of the last 40 years, up there with The Godfather and There Will Be Blood, and that's Raging Bull. Raging Bull in 1980 definitely should have beat Ordinary People. Ordinary People was good. It just wasn't great. And, you know, when you think about that movie, first-time director Robert Redford, to, to me, he seemed like he was more obsessed with photography and using the rule of thirds to frame his scenes in that movie rather than making a really great film. That's just my opinion. I mean, Mary Tyler Moore was great in it. She was fantastic in that movie. But there's no way it was better than Raging Bull. I still think it's Scorsese's best film of his career. That's my number two. What do you got for number one? 
Uh, number one for me, I'm just going to really quickly, because I know everybody has seen this movie or should see it. Um, I'm just going to rattle off all the awards that it won that year and then tell you that it did not win Best Picture, okay? No. It won Best Motion Picture at the Golden Globes, Film of the Year from the London Critics Circle, Best Picture from the Las Vegas Film Critics Society, Best Picture of Los Angeles Film Critics Society, Best Film from New York Film Critics, Best Film from Online Critics Society, Best Film from Southeastern Film Critics, and Best Picture from the Toronto Film Critics. Was it, oh, and was it also... It, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to see if I can... It, it also ended up losing Best Picture in 1998 to yeah. Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say it's 1998, Saving Private Ryan. I agree Saving with you. Saving Private Ryan. Seriously, one of the most just awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping films I have ever watched. It was... It, obviously, it's rated R. Whenever it came out, I was still a kid. My mom, you know, sat us all down and, like, forced us to watch it. You know, like, the the just the the realness of war and i understand i'm not saying that a movie can never fully encapsulate everything that is war um but man even now i i, I can only watch it once every couple of years because it's that powerful of a film i mean just seeing d-day like whenever you know they're they're in the the boats and like the the door drops and instantly you just see bullets riddling these helmets and stuff and there's there's it's just such a well done film like just you know how like the matrix was was revolutionary in that sense like this is what it, what saving private ryan did for action films and for war films and just uh, it's just it's jaw dropping to me that it didn't win to shakespeare in love and that just goes again it's just another black eye to you know this was ranked the 71st greatest film of all time by afi you know it's in the, it's it's in the canon of the greatest films we've ever produced and shakespeare in love like i said it's just this odd footnote it's a decent film but it is a throwaway film that isn't saying anything at large and it's just uh, that's it's just crazy so save a private ryan or saving private ryan is my number one i also just want to take umbrage with the fact that interstellar in 2015 never got nominated uh pulp fiction and shawshank losing to forrest gump we've talked about that before i hope yep. you talk about it and uh there was one more uh apollo 13 losing a braveheart i think i just said but uh there's a lot of snubs man it was really hard to just pin some down but saving private ryan is just it's just a travesty i think in 98 when when shakespeare in love won too like you gotta remember too like you know it's it's sometimes not always about the best picture there's a lot of politics that goes on with the oscars and that's always an issue too and you gotta think like as far as the academy is concerned the academy has always looked at like more artful films and that kind of stuff and you know you know performance based kind of things there's lots of there are lots of actors in the in the guild and but the thing is is that there's a lot of Thing okay, so the thing with Spielberg is the most successful director that that has ever lived. But from an Academy point of view, I think they always kind of look at him as being a popcorn movie kind of guy. And so, from a political point of view within their ranks, I think they kind of felt like, well, you know, five years earlier we gave him the best picture, you know, for Schindler's List. So you know, he's good. He's got his award, even though they gave him director in '98 um, for Saving Private Ryan, which he deserved for the for opening twenty minutes alone of that movie. But I mean, there's so much politics involved. I think that they just they still don't take. Uh, Spielberg all that seriously, unfortunately, which is, you know, a bit of a joke, but it's part of the politics. I agree, by the way, by the way about 94. Uh, Forrest Gump won. Pulp Fiction should have won. Um, another one I mentioned is in 98, 1999. I wanted to leave this one alone because it's kind of in your wheelhouse, but American Beauty won that year, and, and The Sixth Sense was the best movie that year. There's no way that American... American Beauty is one of the worst films to ever win Best Picture in my estimation, <laughs> but... Okay, my number one, though, I'm going all the way back to 1977. No surprise here. The winner was Annie Hall, but the movie that she should 
of one was Star Wars. And I mentioned this on previous podcasts as well. Star Wars was nominated for Best Picture in 77, but lost to Woody Allen's, you know, quirky comedy about, uh, you know, relationships in New York. And Annie Hall is a good movie. I'm a big fan of that movie. I like it a lot. But there's no way, looking back in history, that you can say that the Best Picture of 1977 was not Star Wars. It was. It deserves to have been Best Picture. And it certainly was better than Annie Hall, as much as I liked uh, Alvy Singer's and, you know, Alvy Singer and all of his antics that were going on with him and Annie Hall, um, it doesn't hold up to Star Wars. So Star Wars was definitely the number one of that year. Anyway, um, let's. Uh, what do you say we have some fun with Yancey? Here's what we're going to do this this week, uh, Yancey. I'm just going to ask you some trivia questions, okay? Okay. On mm-hmm. best pictures throughout the years, okay? So La La Land. Name the film kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. That's what we're going to do, okay? So um, let me just see here. So La La Land, we're talking about La La Land, right? Um, so right. It's, it, it's, it's actually, it's nominated for 14 Academy Awards, okay? And that ties a record for the most nominations for a film in a single year. Two other movies have both landed 14 nominations in a single year. Can you name one of them? I'm going to say Mad Max. No. <laughs> um, Mad Max won a lot of awards. Are you sure? Was not nominated for 14 Academy Awards, though. Oh, what else has been nominated for a lot of stuff? Oh, you were around at this time, buddy. You were around. You were about nine years old in 1997. 97. And he had a big sinking um, feeling about this movie. The Titanic. Came. Yes, Titanic. The other one was uh, back in 1950, All About Eve. Both of them were nominated for 14 Academy Awards. Okay? Okay. So all this talk about La La Land tonight, I think it was interesting. Um, so basically, I'm, I'm sure, you know, with all the talk of that, you're wondering how many musicals, you know, have actually won Best Picture? Well, it turns out nine of them have. Nine what? musicals have won the top prize at the Academy Awards. Yancey, can you just name one? I cannot. <laughs> I Not can't. One? No. I'll, I'll guess and say Greece. No, no, no. Greece, no, Greece wasn't winning. I'm sorry. No. Uh, and I mean, some of these that you've you've heard of, you've heard of of an American in Paris. You've heard of West Side Story, My Fair Lady, The Sound of Music, Oliver. But in uh, 2000, the sound of music. in 2002, Richard Gere. Yes. No. Renee Zellweger. No. Chicago. In 2002. Oh, that movie is terrible. One best picture. Okay, so this film was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, and it won all 11 of them, marking the very first and only time a movie has swept all of the Oscars that it was nominated for. Can you name the movie? Can you give me some sort of hint? 2003. Uh, It won 11? was nominated for 11 Academy Awards and it won all 11. And really, it was sort of, it won the awards because it was part of a trilogy and it was the third film in a trilogy. Oh, The Lord of the Rings. Yes, and it really won because it was sort of an award for the whole trilogy. You know what I mean? And I think they really rewarded the whole thing. Um, That's for sure. And, um, okay, so 11 Oscars that it won. Lord of the Rings (laughs) wins 11 Oscars. That's a lot. It actually tied two other movies with the most Academy Awards ever. With 11, can you name either one of the two other movies in Oscar history to go home with 11 statues in one night? Um, I'm sure they're both going to be really old films, so I'm going to just take a lucky guess because we just talked about it. I'm going to say Titanic is Very one. Very good. Titanic is one. And all you need to do is name one. Any chance you could maybe name the other one? Uh, it's going to be something from the 50s or 60s, but no, I can't. Yeah, it's Ben-Hur from 59. So I mean, Okay. Uh, okay, so sequels. Right? We always are knocking sequels around here, but Yancey, one sequel actually won an Oscar for Best Picture. Can you name which sequel? 
one best picture? Uh, Terminator? 1974. Way, way back. But think about what was it. Any chance? Um, give me a hint. Marlon Brando? Is it the, it's it's the Godfather? The, the Which Godfather one is Part it? Two. It's Part Two. Part okay. Two won in nineteen seventy four. The Godfather won in seventy two, and the Godfather Part Two won in nineteen seventy four. Okay, these are tough. <laughs> Last one. I thought these were pretty easy. So here's an easy one for you. You're gonna totally get easy. this. You're gonna get this one. <laughs> Beginning in two thousand and one, Yancey. It's right in your wheelhouse. The Academy has given out an award for best animated feature every year since two thousand and one. But however, since then. Two animated films have actually been honored with a nomination for Best Picture as well. Can you name both of them? They were nominated for Best Feature? Yep. Or Best Picture? Yep. So since 2001, they give out Best Animated Feature, but two movies since then have also been nominated for Best Picture that year. I'm going to go with Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3, and that's why I'm asking for two, because you already mentioned that one earlier. So, uh, It's definitely a Pixar film. It's either Wally. Or it's Finding Nemo. No, it has to do with balloons. Ed oh, Asner. up. Ah, that's correct. Up, uh, yeah. up is a tearjerker. It sure is. It's a good movie, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so there you go. So not bad. We had, I got a chance to talk a about a musical that we both liked, and maybe surprisingly so, with uh, La La Land and uh, a little bit of talk of lots of Oscars and lots of movies that we think deserve to be there. If you would like to reach out to us, please do so on Twitter, at Yancey Eaton or at C. McBrien. Or shoot us an email, Chris or Yancey at popgoesyourworld.com. As always, on behalf of Yancey Eaton, this is Chris McBrien saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Music.